Oh, okay. The reason I'm asking okay. is, is that the Pardon? Oh, okay.
Good morning. And welcome to our guests. Please remember to fill out the pew pads in your aisles so you can hand them to your neighbors and then talk to each other for our, during a fellowship for coffee and donuts after the service. And there are two events in the bulletin I'd like to remind you about. There are pies for sale for Calvary St. Andrews, and they're excellent. And remember, the ham dinner is coming up on December 14th. And I want to remind you about uh, if you're blocking a driveway or, or parked in an old parking spot on Locust Avenue, you might be ticketed, so you may want to move your car. Are there any announcements? Good morning. Just another reminder that next week after the second service is the Advent Brunch, so we'd love to see you there. Uh, Sign-ups are in Fellowship Hall. Um, We will be making Advent wreaths to assist with your Advent devotionals, kind of fun. And then also we'll be regaled by the Messenger Quartet. Good morning. Hopefully this will be the last time you'll see me up here for a while. (laughs) This is the last Sunday to order your pies. Um, We are also taking donations for Calvary St. Andrews for pies for them. We now have 34, and we're hoping to get 50, because they make up about 50 baskets for the poor. So that would be very nice if you would like to do that. You will get credit for it on your... um, church statement that you have donated to that, so for your tax write-off. I have to leave today at quarter to one, so please come right over um, after the service if you want to order any pies. And please bring the blanks, the the, uh, order sheets that are in your bulletin, because I'm running a little short. Thank you very much. Are there any other announcements? I better make this one quick. <laughs> we have a we <laughs> we have a, a mission trip coming up to Mission Texas. Uh, this is going to be on January first. We're actually going to be leaving late on the day on New Year's Day for a week in southern Texas, and there's still room for additional folks to join us. This is really designed to be a mix of college-age students and uh, us older adults, quote unquote. Um, So please think about coming, and if you have uh, college students in your family, there's still time to encourage them to join us. It would be a great time. Thanks. We will now begin the service.
Indeed, Kirkringers. We, Father, we praise thee. Well done. Thank you. Please join me, friends, in your responsive call to worship printed in the bulletin. To you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. In gratitude, let us worship God. over descants and fifth grade ringers. Please join me in the prayer of the day, friends. Gracious creator, your day draws near with deliberate haste. We We prepare prepare ourselves for the providence that you promise to us in Christ. Christ. As we gather in this place to give you all praise and glory, fill us with the Holy Spirit so we may discern your will. May we thereby be led to worship you in all that we do, with thanksgiving to Jesus who shows us the way. Amen.
Anyone here perfect? Didn't think so. That means that you can join with me in the prayer of confession. O God, have mercy upon us as we confess our sin. Christ calls us stewards, but we squander your gifts. He gives us tasks to perform, yet we do as we please. He sends us to minister on behalf of those suffering. We are slow to respond until our own needs are met. He expects us to praise you in all that we do. We take all the credit for those things we do well. Forgive us and help us to be more obedient. Paul reminds us, since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. taking risks right now because Carol's trying to get action shots of them. (laughs) That's wonderful. Friends, we are going to read from Thessalonians, Paul's letter to Thessalonica. And normally we read from the New Revised Standard Version, but today I want to read to us from the message. Eugene Peterson wrote this paraphrase recently. He took a whole year of sabbatical off from his teaching to take the old Greek and Hebrew original texts and turn them into something that would be in more modern language so that we can understand it. Because these are very familiar texts to many of us. And after you've heard them for a while, you kind of do one of these, my eyes glaze over. I invite you to hear God's word to you. I don't think, friends, that I need to deal with the question of when all this is going to happen, that is the parousia, or the going up to God in the end of time. You know as well as I that the day of the Master's coming can't be posted on our calendars. He won't call ahead and make an appointment any more than a burglar would. About the time everyone's walking around complacently congratulating each other, we've sure got it made, now we can take it easy, suddenly everything will fall apart. It's going to come as suddenly and inescapably as birth pangs to a pregnant woman. But friends, you're not in the dark. So how could you be taken off guard by any of this? You're sons of light, daughters of the day. We live under wide open skies and know where we stand. So let's not sleepwalk through life as others. Let's keep our eyes open and be smart. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Since we're creatures of the day, let's act like it. Walk out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope of salvation. God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. He died for us, 
a death that triggered life. Whether we're awake awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we're alive with him. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together with one another. All this with no one left out, no one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite the young people forward to speak with us for a second. And I need your help this morning, guys. Come on up and sit on the stairs. I need to keep this space open down here. I want everybody sitting on the stairs, please. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Excellent. Everybody on the stairs for me this morning. Oh, my goodness, Mr. Jenakaika. So you're going to be okay? Yeah? Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. All right. I've got a question for you. Have you ever had trouble falling asleep because you were... Yes? Okay. You overslept? Well, I'm just happy you're here this morning. Dude. That late? My goodness. Well, has it ever happened to you that you couldn't fall asleep because you were looking at that pile of clothes on the chair and you were absolutely convinced that it was this big, scary monster about to come and eat you up? Yeah? Or your shadow, right? We can get... You do get scared in the dark when you're by yourself, Morgan. Absolutely. But the funny thing is, when we're in the light of day, that, that pile of clothes or our shadow doesn't even show up and it doesn't look so scary, does it? It's amazing to me that we can see better and we're more willing to take risks when we can see, right? So how can we set our sights on living in the light as opposed to being terrified by the fright of the night? How do we do that? Well, Paul was writing to us a minute ago, and Paul was saying that we're supposed to live up to the light of day. What did you see, Skylar? What else did you hear Paul telling us? Trust others. That helps because when you've got people around you, did you hear Paul was saying, encourage one another, build one another up, right? Mr. Genekaikis, did you hear something else that Paul told us? No. No? Okay. That's all right. But guess what? I'm going to tell you. Do you think it really makes a difference, Skylar, when we help one another out? I do, too. Let's test that little theory, okay? We're going to do, do a scientific experiment. I need several volunteers. Miss Annalise, you'll be my first. And a second volunteer. Miss Maddie, would you be my second volunteer? And Miss Paige, would you be my third volunteer? Okay? And then I'm going to need other volunteers, okay? So you're, we're not done. I just need my first three. Annalise, do me a favor, honey. Stand up over here. Okay? See the squares, carpet squares in front of you? All right. I want you to walk, making certain that you put one foot in each square, not falling off or touching any wood. Go. You did it. Pretty easy to do it in the light, isn't it? Okay. Very good. And now my second gutsy volunteer. Ready? Come on, Miss Maddie. Now, in the light, it's easy to do. But Maddie, I'm going to put you in the dark. I'm going to put a blindfold on you. Is that okay, Mom and Dad? Okay. 
You want to come up and do this? All right. Can you see? Okay. Guess what? I'm not only going to put a blindfold on you, but I'm going to disorient you because we're going to pretend that you're like Paul has said. Go ahead and let me, let me guide you. I'm going to turn you around. Okay, I'm going to make you disoriented. I'm going to be like you're in the night, drunk in the night. Okay, now, good luck. Walk on the squares. Go ahead. I'm catching her, Mom. Don't worry. She missed the squares, didn't she, guys? Yeah. It's hard to see when it's dark. Okay, I need my third volunteer. Come on, Paige. I know you'd love to, Skylar. I tell you, Mr. Matt will do a game like this, I promise, with logos. All right? Now, this time, we're still going to blindfold you. Is that okay, Mom? Okay. We're still going to blindfold you. We're still going to disorient you. But this time, I told you I needed volunteers, right? Everybody up. Okay, I need some folks over here. Come around. What we're going to do is we're going to guide Paige to make certain that she doesn't get um, lost, right? So you need to go around the squares and guide her. Everybody help. Everybody on the side, okay? Everybody's going to gently, okay, gently guide Paige so that she's going to walk on those squares, all right? So with good words and helping her with gentle, stru- gentle guidance. Okay, go ahead, walk Paige. Guide her, guys. There you go. Everybody work together. Everybody work together. That's right. Keep her on the squares. That's right. You can do it. Keep going. Keep going. Use the words. Use the words. You can do it. Yay! You can take your blindfold off, Paige. Nice job. Now, why did we do that? Did you find that even if you were walking in the dark, if you were encouraged, how did it feel, Paige? Still a little dizzy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was still disorienting, but you had people around you helping you out, didn't you? And did you trust them? Kind of. That's okay. You know, that's an honest reaction because, honestly, do we trust one another? Kind of. Right? So who do we trust? God. I heard it here first. God. God, right? The more that we can live into that, we can walk as children of the light and not be afraid of the night. That's what Paul was writing to us so that we can live into good decisions and be willing to take the risk to do something unfamiliar, right? Shall we pray about this before you head into the kingdom today? Grab a hand around you. Grab a hand. Grab a hand. Okay. God in heaven, we thank you for your gifts to us. We thank you for encouraging us to take risks with those gifts. Help us to encourage one another to take risks with those gifts. We pray it in the Master's name. Amen. Have a great time in the kingdom. Thanks for helping me out today. Good gutsies.
James, you take second place today. I heard you play Gershwin last night at the concert. James played Rhapsody in Blue on the piano. It was absolutely spellbinding. But I like the choir. (laughs) We're going to read from the book of Judges. Not very often we read from this book. Um, A couple things to know about it. There's a phrase that occurs throughout the book. And you hear it time and time again. There was no king in Israel. We're going to hear mention of two names. One is the name of our president in this reading. The other is a name of one of the judges. When I was completing theological education, we had to take a course in the Bible, and you had to pass it to graduate. One of the questions on the test was this. Who was the left-handed judge This is trivia. I was tipped that this might be on the test, so I studied the book of Judges. There is a phrase that says, Ehud carried his shield in his right hand. That meant that he probably carried his sword in his left, so he would have been the left-handed judge. And this reading, he has died. Listen for the word of God. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Boy, that's, uh, they were always doing evil in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> and they did it again after Ehud died. Left-handed judge. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoim. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, for son of Abinuam from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take position at Mount Tabor. Bring 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our gospel lesson for today is taken from Matthew 25. Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of these slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you? that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." The puzzling word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our church mission statement says that we are a caring community, growing spiritually as disciples of Jesus Christ. Together we spread the good news of Jesus through worship, fellowship, education, prayer, and especially mission. You might remember that this summer in this very chancel, we commissioned not only three teams to go to Katali, Kenya, and to help out with the orphanage there, we also commissioned our youth group to go to Pennsylvania so that they might help disadvantaged individuals in Pennsylvania. And finally, this summer, we also commissioned young Taylor Frank, a college student, to go to Israel-Palestine for his own mission work there. As you know, Israel-Palestine continues to be a volatile region, and in late June when we commissioned Taylor, things were ramping up and getting even more fierce as Israel and Palestine were shooting at one another. Taylor and his family carefully considered the risk. They felt that the ministry that Taylor would be doing was safe enough and in a location that would be safe enough that the ministry was important and he could go ahead and take that calculated risk to do it. 
I give them a ton of credit for looking with eyes wide open and leaping right in to this risky venture to go to do mission just as Jesus commissions us in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Taylor took a risk. I used to love taking risks. That was before I had kids. I would jet off at anybody's invitation. I love traveling the world for my business career and for the federal government. I used to rock climb and I would scuba dive and I would have great deals of fun run, just <coughs> skiing down hills with utter abandon, rollerblading, and traveling the world. But when I had kids, the parent protection gene really kicked in. I mean, can't we just bubble wrap them for the rest of our lives and, and make certain that somebody's there to catch them on the carpet squares wherever they go? Where's the guarantee in all of this? I still worry about Rachel and Wes, probably more than I should, but I want to make certain that I'm not putting too much fear into them or into any other child of God. Now, I want you to know that I come by my prudence very honestly. My father, you see, is a risk management consultant. And I can't tell you how many hours I have spent either on the ski lifts or in cars with him or over meals where he, he has imparted his wisdom about decision-making that involves risks. This parable that Jesus tells us today about a wealthy man who entrusts his prof- property to three servants can be seen as a classic Harvard Business School case study in risk management. Two servants are given five and two talents, respectively, and they manage to double their money in the long time that their master's gone. Now, you need to recognize that Jesus told this story in the middle of his own personal high-risk venture. He was telling this story in the last few days of his life. Have you ever noticed some Bibles that have red letters in them? Whenever Jesus is speaking, it's printed in red letters. Well, Matthew If you open up to that gospel in a red-letter Bible, even one that you might find online, there are some editions that have it online as well, if you open up to Matthew's gospel, you'll notice that he organizes his gospel in five sections where Jesus is teaching. There's blocks of sections in red letters. Scholars call those five sections the five major discourses of Jesus. And today's gospel lesson is from the fifth and final of these sections. The first section is the so-called Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And it also includes those verses that give us the Our Father. Jesus says to pray in this way, Our Father. The second teaching section is from Jesus commissioning the 12 apostles so that they can go off and do their own ministry. The third teaching section is Jesus teaching in parables in Matthew 13. The fourth section is is Jesus' How to Be an Effective Church Leadership Seminar. And then this final section focuses on the judgment and the ultimate victory of God at the end of time. Now, just before Jesus started his fourth section, he had turned his face and made the risky decision to leave rural Galilee and head right into the viper's den to Jerusalem. He knew that he would be challenging the religious authorities and at the very least, saying something about their power and privilege. The Romans would most assuredly be absolutely convinced that he was just a rabble-rouser there to stir up the crowds. While in Jerusalem, Jesus is preparing his disciples, the crowds, and eventually us 
to learn how to make good decisions, even in the face of risk. He knows that his time on the cross is coming, and he wants us to be prepared. Remember? Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Today's parable is about a wealthy man who goes away on a long journey. And before he departs, he distributes his talents to his three slaves. A talent, friends, is a great deal of money. It's 15 years' worth of a daily laborer's wage. Now, if we bring that into modern terms, the wage of an average American worker is $44,818.66. And yes, I did look it up on a U.S. government's website. So if you want to round that up, it's approximately 15 years' worth comes to $675,000. One talent, $675,000. The first slave takes his money to the market to a wealth management firm and invests it in high-risk ventures. His five talents comes to about $3,375,000. And he doubles that, yielding $6,750,000. I think Warren Buffett would have been impressed with that, don't you? Well, the second slave does the same thing. He takes his two talents and puts it in high-risk ventures, and he does equally well, doubling his money. When their master returns, he says, well done. Then he promises that they're going to receive more responsibility in the future. The third slave, on the other hand, does something rather different. The third slave digs a hole in the ground and puts all the money in that hole for safekeeping. Now, in a time of stock market decline, that looks like a pretty smart thing to do. This is not a bad man. He's a prudent, careful, cautious investor. He's not about to take chances with his own money, or more certainly not with his master's. He's about to give it back to his master, every penny of it. And he's proud of himself. Here it is, all accounted for. For his efforts, though, he is treated as harshly as anyone in the Bible. His master calls him a wicked and lazy slave, takes his one talent from him, gives it to the one who has ten, and throws him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, honestly, I can't help but wonder what would have happened if the first two slaves had put their money in high-risk ventures and then lost it all. Wow. What would the master have said then? Jesus, of course, didn't tell the story that way, but I'm inclined to think that the master would have been equally pleased with them. He might have even applauded their efforts. You see, the point here is not really about wealth accumulation or doubling your money. The point, my friends, is about living. It's about investing. It's about being willing to take risks. It's about Jesus himself and what he has done and what he is about to do. And it's mostly about what he hopes and expects we will do when he's gone. The greatest risk of all, it turns out, is not to risk anything. Not to care deeply and profoundly enough to give our hearts away and in the process, risk everything. Alfred Lord Tennyson says, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all." The greatest risk of all is to play it safe to live cautiously and prudently. We bury too much goodness, time, love, treasure, and talent in the ground. Why? Well, perhaps some of us feel that our talent is too insignificant to make a big difference. Or we might feel resentment and jealousy over somebody else's accumulation of talents. 
Or in this parable, is it fear and distrust? We know that from what is said in the text. The third servant is afraid of the master. This master has freely and generously given him 15 years of a laborer's wage. But he's not willing to risk any part of it whatsoever. He projects onto the gracious master his own fears and personal misgivings. Perhaps you remember our preaching last year about the ancient church's seven deadly sins. One of those sins was sloth. And in this particular context, sloth means not caring, not loving, not rejoicing, not living up to the full potential of our humanity, playing it safe, investing nothing, being cautious and prudent, digging a hole in the ground and putting our talents there. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the sin of respectable people is running, not walking, running from responsibility. Bonhoeffer, as you might remember, was a pacifist who took his own responsibility so seriously during World War II that he joined the resistance and helped to plan an attempt on Hitler's life. And for that, it cost him his life. Five days before the liberation of Germany, he died. How important is this personally to you and me in terms of how we live our lives? Jesus' warning is that the outcome of playing it safe, not caring, not loving passionately, not investing ourselves, not risking anything, is something akin to death, like being banished into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, for most of us, religion, our personal faith, has not seemed like a high-risk venture. We're not like the Valendas walking on a tightrope with our personal faith, are we? In fact, it seems something entirely the opposite. Faith is more like our personal comfort zone. We gather here to feel good about ourselves. And to some extent, that's okay. Faith, we think, is no more risky than believing ideas in our heads about God and Jesus, a list of beliefs to to which we more or less subscribe intellectually. Religion, we think, is mild-mannered. Well, that's where we preachers get to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Jesus invites us to be disciples to live our lives as fully as possible by investing them, by risking, by expanding the horizons of our possibilities. To be Jesus' man or woman, he said, it's not so much believing ideas about him as it is following Jesus. It's to experience renewed responsibility of the use and investment of these precious lives of ours. It's to be bold and brave, to reach high and to care deeply. I'm a fan of Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing. Does anybody remember that show that ran between 1999 and 2006 and still runs in um, cable reruns? Well, in it, it tells the story of President Jeb Bartlett and his staffers as they face daily decisions and dramatic dilemmas. In one episode, President Bartlett is reminiscing about one of his first significant interactions with Mrs. Landingham, the person who eventually moves with him as his personal assistant through his becoming a college president, then the governor, and then eventually the president of the United States. You see, Jeb Bartlett grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He grew up in a position of privilege, and he was taught at a, at a very Tony prep school in New England, where his father was the, the headmaster at the time. In a flashback at the prep school, Mrs. Landingham and Jeb are talking about pay inequality between the male and the female staffers. And she says to Jeb, Look, 
at you. You're a boy king. You're a foot smarter than the smartest kid in the class. You're blessed with inspiration. You must know this by now. You must be aware of it. Look, if you think we're wrong, Jeb, if you think Mr. Hopkins should be, should be honestly more paid than Mrs. Chadwick, then I respect that. But if you think we're right, and you won't speak up because you can't be bothered, then God, Jeb, I don't even want to know you. My friends, Jesus wants to know us. And Jesus wants us to know how much he loves us and treasures our talents. So much so that he gave us the example of his own life-giving talent. His actions and his teachings show and teach us to go and do likewise. His parable of the talents is not so much about the money. It's a great invitation to the adventure of high-risk faith, to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, modern wisdom would have us mitigate this high-risk venture. Check out any bookstore or MBA program for the plethora of decision-making models. We can make a list of pros and cons. We can gather more and more data. We can get ourselves into analysis paralysis. We can track our decisions and seek to improve our successful outcomes. We can make certain we always consult a devil's advocate so that anything we want to try is shut down. We can avoid blinders like insider trading or decision-making that might engender from that. All of these are possibilities that you can check out in any bookstore or MBA program. Would you like to know the best-selling decision-making book of all time? Come on. The Bible. Basic instructions before leaving Earth. There's a grade A decision-making model in the Bible. Take a look, for example, in Galatians 5. Paul encourages us to live by the Spirit. And when we make decisions guided by God, we show forth these fruits of the Spirit. Peace, joy, love, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, humility, and self-control. They're all there when we do these risky ventures and make good decisions. What decisions have you made yielding these fruits? I know you can think of a few. Perhaps you've coached Little League or volunteered at the Ronald McDonald House or sponsored a jazzy camper, or bought a door for the mission in Katali, Kenya, or baked cookies for memorial receptions, or trained as a Stephen minister to give Christ-like care to those who need it, or knit hats for newborns in the NICU, or taking care of our wonderful chancel supplies, our candles, and, or rung bells, or given of your precious talent and time to rain families, or sung in the choir, or you can think of a thousand different things that you've done with your talents already. You and I know how good these things have felt. My gosh, choir, you couldn't have been smiling anymore if you tried. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and us, encouraging us to keep on keeping on with these risky ventures of ourselves and to keep encouraging one another to take these risks. It's not easy. You have to sacrifice your time. You have to juggle your priorities. But it's worth it. The ice bucket challenge is a lot easier when you know that somebody is standing there with a warm towel and a dry blanket afterwards. And what about Taylor Frank's decision to go to Israel last summer? That was a high-risk venture. Taylor had to be all in to raise enough money so that he could get there 
and forego the wages that he might have earned had he stayed in Rochester. Did the venture pay off? As my daughter would say, oh yeah. <laughs> Lives were changed, including Taylor's. Go and do likewise. We're grateful for God's word and when it's made more alive. So we pray about it. And there's a prayer printed for us to use. O oh God, you endow us with talent beyond what we earn or deserve. You seek from us service to you in all that we think, yearn for, and do. As we bring our gifts and offerings before you, May they reflect a wise investment of your trust in us. May they yield, continue to abound as the work that we do spreads your will farther. Amen. Carrie, we have several prayer requests here. Um, we've been asked to give praise for the Rose family. Augustus Rose is coming home from NICU today, and that's good. Praise. 
we've been asked to um, to pray a prayer of thanks for Stephanie's continued recovery. Please also pray for my best friend's mother who fell and broke her hip. She's recovering in England after hip surgery. Marie is 90. We've been asked to pray this prayer for decisions made by world leaders. We do get concerned about what happens in our world. We've been asked to pray for Derek Smith. Derek Smith is a wonderful baritone. He's sung here with the choir in the past. He is currently in a medical-induced coma at Strong after suffering cardiac and pulmonary arrest last Wednesday. His wife and family asked for prayers as he's not doing well. Some of you have heard when Derek sang, he, he has sung with a most beautiful bass voice and um, has enlivened usually our Advent or Easter singing. So we pray for these. Thank you, Bruce. Ruth Hugenbrook, you must be thrilled at this new grandbaby home from the NICU. That's fabulous. We're excited for the Rose family. And Evelyn and Gavin must be thrilled to have a little baby at home, too. It's wonderful. We also give thanks and praise for the beautiful flowers that are behind us in the chancel. They're in memory of Jerry Vesseling, placed there by BJ and her family. We also give thanks and praise at Tom Hughes for your hip surgery tomorrow. We're anticipating that it's going to go flawlessly and without any complications whatsoever, sir. We'll have you dancing up in the choir loft before you know it. And we give thanks and praise for the many ways that we can Zumba. Melanie, would you do me a favor and raise your hand for me, please? Melanie Jones is here worshiping with us today, and she and I are hatching a venture with our membership and evangelism team to bring Zumba to the congregation. So stay and talk to her afterwards if you're at all interested in Zumba in our congregation. Friends, we also have a number of new members joining us today, a class as large as 15. I would invite them to stay in the sanctuary immediately following worship so that we can meet with our elders and our deacons that are accompanying those particular new members, and then we'll have a brunch in the fellowship hall. Friends, stay and enjoy coffee. There's plenty of time and space for all of those good things. Please join me in prayer. God of infinite mercy, we offer thanksgiving for your goodness. You have not forsaken your people. When our tables are laden, it is due to your grace. Our lungs are filled with the life you breathe into us. Our limbs move with purpose because of the strength you impart. When anxieties engulf us, you hide not your compassion. If we're afflicted with pain, you comfort us with your presence. We give you thanks for Christ Jesus, who fulfills all that you promised. In him we have confidence that you accept who we are. It is he who redeems us in spite of our rebellion and offers salvation when we stray from your will. He tempers your judgment with his intercession and stays your anger as he acts on our behalf. We can approach you with assurance that in Christ you will hear us, and we take heart that we still dwell in your favor so we can make those risky decisions modeled on the basis of your Son. We give thanks for our loved ones who are at rest now with you. Their faith in Christ Jesus helped transform our lives. We thank you as well for prophets and saints of all ages. Their journeys taken in obedience have inspired us to pilgrimage. We thank you for all those who have shown us how to seek justice and kindness. 
By their example, our lives have perspective, and because of their commitment, we too have had faith. As we continue our own quest to be obedient, help us to remember your presence throughout history. Your touch heals, cleanses, restores, renews. As you prepare us for the days to come, let us begin by praying as our Savior taught us together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Give us this day our daily bread. As we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Oh, Bruce! Yes, but I caught the word that you talked about in your sermon today, and the word that you kept saying was risk. Really? To do that, Bruce. Well, let's take a verse and let's do it a cappella. Which verse, Bruce? The third verse. The third verse, a cappella. Thank you. different interpretations to that particular hymn. One could say, when the millennium is over, we're going to see the king. I like Bill Gabbett's wisdom about this. We're going to see the king right now. Take a risk. Look around you. Find him where he is. Right here. 
right now. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each and every one of us this day and forevermore.